Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is Psalm 65 which you will find in the Old Testament section of our Pew Bibles, beginning on page 535 or on the screen above. But first, please join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. This is a a psalm of great thanksgiving. The 65th Psalm. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed, O you who answer prayer. To you all flesh shall come. When deeds of iniquity overwhelm us, You forgive our transgressions. Happy are those whom you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with deliverance, O God of our salvation. You are the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. By your strength, you establish the mountains You are girded with might. You silence the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. Those who live at Earth's farthest bounds are awed by your signs. You make the gateways of the morning and the evening shout for joy. You visit the Earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide the people with grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with richness. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks and the valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. This is the word of the God, word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, David. Friends, this morning, next Sunday, marks the 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 opportunity that what will be ours as a church to participate in what we call Giving Sunday or Stewardship Sunday. And it's on that Sunday, we do this once a year, by the way, it's on that Sunday where we encourage our community to make a financial pledge to support the mission and the ministries of our church. And for those of you who are new to the practice of giving, maybe you're a new Christian and you're wondering why do we give our financial resources to the church, or maybe you're new to this church, it's important for you to know that when we think about giving, we think of giving 
in three broad areas, and you know those areas, but it's good to repeat them. It's good to be reminded. We think about giving our time. We think about giving the abilities and the talents that we have. And we also think very deliberately about giving our financial resources. And of course, the big question is why? Why? Some people would argue that, well, you want to give because you've got bills to pay. And I abhor that reason. Even though it's true, I abhor that reason. I like to think of it this way, that these three categories that we just mentioned, time, talent, resources, are gifts that we did not manufacture. They were given to us. I like to remind myself many times, and I did a memorial service yesterday here, and I reminded the congregation that when you and I came into the world, just like little Graham, we came into the world with nothing. And during the course of our time living in this world, we acquire, we work, we gain, we have. And then when we die, of course, we leave it behind us. So before you think about next Sunday and the chance to engage in what I call intentional giving, it's always a good idea to remind ourselves of the reason why do we practice intentional giving here at First Press? What do I mean by intentional giving? Because there are other types of giving. There is a kind of giving that I've seen happen in churches where people are guilted into giving. And again, that, that is not helpful. There's also a kind of giving that grows out of a poverty mindset. There's a kind of giving that is thoughtless. There's also a kind of giving that is emotional. On the other hand, I like to think of intentional giving as something that is thoughtful, it's prayerful, and it is joyful. And what helps us to give in that way is when we begin to understand this one word, this one word that I call source, source. And this is a question I would ask you to, to, to think about. Think about it. Think about where you are in your life today and ask yourself, who is the source? What is the source? How did I get all these things? Is it luck? Is it just me? Is there a greater source? How did I derive all these blessings? Is there a source? And I believe that when we have clarity about the source, who gets the credit for who we are and what we have and where we are, it is then that it changes our posture, it changes our attitude to everything that we do. Let me explain to you why I say this. Some of you who are raving fans of Saturday Night Live might remember this woman, Julia Sweeney, who had a four-year run on Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live. Very, very funny woman. Not long ago, she wrote a little piece called Letting Go of God. Letting Go of God. And she raises a very, very important issue that many people in the world and in our society continue to raise. And the question is, why does God want or even seem to need our praise? And here's how she frames her objection 
to believing in God. She said, I'm living my life as a person who accepts the natural world. The whole idea that there is a God who cares whether people believe in him or not, like why would God care if people believe in him or not? That was one of the many things that I found so shocking, she said, about reading the Bible. First of all, it just seems to me, she says, that God comes across very insecure. I mean, God is so insecure, she says, that he needs everyone to say, you're number one. You're number one over all the other gods. You're the top God, she writes. And then she ends by saying that God seems to be an insecure character in the Bible. Now, I've heard people frame it not exactly the way, the way Miss Sweeney frames it, but I've heard people ask that same question. Why do we need to acknowledge God as the source? On my bookshelf inside my office is a really beaten copy of C.S. Lewis's, what he calls Reflection on the Psalms. C.S. Lewis comes from it from a, a different angle. Let me read what he, to you what he says. He said, I think we delight to praise. Now, he's giving the reason why it's powerfully important that we acknowledge the source. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not, nearly, not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Did you get that? It not only expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not able to tell anyone how good that author is. It is frustrating to come suddenly at a turning the road and upon that turn in the road, you see this beautiful mountain valley that's just splattered with grandeur. And then you've got to keep silent because everyone around you, everyone around you doesn't really care about what, what you're seeing. It's frustrating, he says, to hear a good joke. And you can't tell anyone about it. You can't share the joy of hearing that joke. And so he says, fully to enjoy is to glorify. And so in commanding us to glorify and to praise and to acknowledge God as the source, God is inviting us to enjoy him. Some of you growing up in the Presbyterian tradition would have possibly, when you're going through your catechism classes, you would have heard this question that what is the chief end of man? What's man's chief duty? Man's chief duty is to glorify God and to do what? Enjoy God forever. And what you enjoy, that's what you'll glorify. And so one of my authors I read mostly during the summer because I'm always reading other books, theology and this and that, but in the summer I'll pick up some other books to read. A.J. Jacobs, I think, is one of the funniest writers in this country. And he wrote a book. They call him the human guinea pig. He wrote this hilarious book called The Year of Living Biblically. And I'm telling you, if you read that book, you'll be laughing till your tummy hurts. 
Because what this guy decides to do is take every literal command in the Bible and decides that he's going to, he's going to live it out. He's going to obey every single commandment in the Bible. He gets into all kinds of trouble trying to do that. And then he wrote another book that I've been fascinated by. It's called Thanks a Thousand. Thanks a Thousand. And Mr. Jacobs goes around literally the country and the world thanking every person who had even the smallest role in making his morning cup of coffee possible. And this is how he starts his book, Thanks a Thousand. He says, it's Tuesday morning, and I'm in the presence of one of the most mind-boggling accomplishments in human history. This thing is so astounding in its complexity and scope, it makes the Panama Canal look like a third grader's craft project. This miracle I see before me, he says, is the result of thousands of human beings collaborating across dozens of continents. It took the combined labor of artists, chemists, politicians, mechanics, biologists, miners, packagers, smugglers, goat herds. It required airplanes and boats and trucks and motorcycles and vans and pellets, pallets and shoulders. It needed hundreds of materials, steel, wood, nitrogen, rubber, silicon, ultraviolet light, explosives, and bat guano. If you're a coffee drinker and you don't know what bat guano is, come talk to me after worship. You may not want to drink coffee after. It has caused great joy, but also great poverty and oppression. It relied upon ancient wisdom and space-age technology freezing temperatures, scorching heat, high mountains, deep water. It's my morning cup of coffee, he says, and I'm grateful for it. I'm really, really grateful. And his gratitude for coffee then propelled him to go to the local coffee shop, to go all over the world, thanking each person in the coffee-producing, packaging, manufacturing chain and to thank them, as Lewis says, fully to enjoy is to glorify. So I want you to think about what you heard read this morning because it's possible that the setting for Psalm 65, it's uh, maybe a, a, a group of people, they're, they're, they're getting ready now to harvest. It's been a, a, long win a long winter and spring and summer. They've planted, they've prayed for rain. They weren't sure about what was gonna happen in the future. But now they see the fields, it's ripe, it's ready to be harvested. And before they harvest it, they look to God and they thank God as the source. And they thank God in three big ways. They thank God for his presence, God's presence. When we come into God's presence, we give our thanks and our praise to God. When we come into God's presence, we suddenly realize that there are miracles all around us. The fact that we are breathing right now, it's just one of the gifts of God. The fact that you went to bed last night and you woke up, it's a gift from God. And you see that as a miracle. When you're in the presence of God, you're always looking to the source and giving God thanks for the good times. And I heard someone say the other day, why did God allow all these bad things to happen to me? And I said to the person, I wonder if they also say, when things are going really, really well, they said, God, why did you allow all these blessings to come into my life? Anyone here does that? 
Okay, a few people do, but most of us, you're like me. Oh, man, what did I do wrong now? But when you're in the presence of God, you are moved to give thanks. You make a promise to God, Lord, I'm going to fulfill that promise because I want to honor you. And the psalmist says, Lord, we give you thanks because you hear our prayers. When sin overwhelms our lives and we ask you to forgive us, Lord, you forgive us. But the other big category that he lifts up is he, the, the, the writer is thanking God for God's awesome deeds. And he goes on and he lists all God's righteous, amazing deeds. And then the last category, he thanks God for his provisions. That God, you're the source of all gifts. The rain that falls on the earth, the seeds that are planted in the ground, the crops that grow, the ingenuity of the farmers to, to take what is growing and to transform it in such a way that it ends up on your table. God, you are amazing. Now, we live in a supermarket culture, so it's difficult. We have, we have a, I think we have a couple farmers among us. I found out. I was at a dinner the other night. And we have some farmers among us. I mean, these people are farmers with a capital F, farmers. But most of us don't know that experience. We go to Jewel Osco, which will soon be merging with Mariano's, as you know. So what's going to happen? We don't know. But we go to the supermarket and we just get the stuff and we bring it home. We don't think about the chain of events that brought that stuff to the supermarket. But friends, I want you today, when you sit down for lunch or for dinner this evening, don't just do that perfunctory prayer. Take a moment and thank God for the food that you have before you. You know why I do that sometimes? Many times I do that. It's because there are people who don't have that privilege that we have of opening the refrigerator, going into the freezer, and putting something in the pot and cooking a meal and enjoying that meal. For many people, they are they are food insecure. I have a picture here of the Dead Sea. I wonder if you could find that for us and show that to the group. I want you to see this. The Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because it's dead. This is because it's content, the content of that blue ocean, that blue water, it's salt. It's the saltiest body of water on the planet, it's nine times saltier than the ocean. It is so salty that it doesn't make sense going there to try and fish. There are no fish in that water. It's so salty that you won't find a sailboat skimming across the surface of the Dead Sea. It's a big body of water. It's 10 miles by 50 miles. And if you look out over the water, nobody is skiing. You'll never see a wave. You'll never see people building vacation homes around the Dead Sea. It's dead. It's desolate. The only people who jump into the Dead Sea are people like me. The first time I went there, I just had to go in. Because I heard when you lay on the surface of the water, you can't sink. And I didn't believe it, so I said, I'm going to try it. And I did it. And it's true. It is so dense, you can't sink. And so, 
When you go to that area, you see tour buses after tour buses of people jumping out, getting into their bathing suits, and jumping into that salty brine. So the second time I went back, I knew. I've been in the water. So everybody on our team, we brought a group from our church, and everybody was, yeah, we want to get down to the Dead Sea. I stayed back in that air-conditioned room watching them. It was about 106 degrees and fire. But I stayed back, and I just watched them go out and have the same experience. And chances are, if we all went back again, I doubt any of us. Tom, what do you think? You're going to go back in? I don't think so. Many of us won't go back in. It's, it's, like, it's like one of those experiences that you have, and then that's it. But here's my bigger point. I don't know if you know this, that there is actually fresh water flowing down into the Dead Sea, and it's happening continuously. The Jordan River and several other tributaries flow into the Dead Sea, but the Dead Sea has no outlet. And because it has no outlet, the fresh water that comes in, it just sits there, and it's embraced and absorbed into all of that salt. When we believe God is our source, it keeps us from becoming what I call a Dead Sea person. A Dead Sea person. What's a Dead Sea person? This is a person who receives blessings, fresh resources, fresh provisions from God on a regular basis, but they have no outlet. It's like Miss Sweeney, blessings coming into her life, but she doesn't know who to thank. Well, I, I don't have anyone to thank. I'm going to thank myself. Dead Sea people never channel any of these resources to other people in their lives. And so this morning, I just want to challenge first prayers. If this is your spiritual home, if this is where you believe God has called you to, to, to engage in serving God through this church, I want to challenge all of us to become to become generous people, to become like a river, not a dead sea, not just take in and never give out. I'm going to challenge you to take the blessings that God pours into your life and turn it back to him in praise. Think about all the blessings of time, the gifts and abilities that God has given to you, your financial resources, the people that God has put into your life all your health. Think of all the ways in which God blesses you. Take all of those blessings and say, Lord, I give these back to you in grateful devotion because they come from you. Be a river of life. Be a river of life where goodness comes from you. And so next Sunday morning, one of the ways that we will call upon you to give is to is to give from your financial resources. But that's just one way. When you walk out of here today, who can you bless? Who can you bless? Keep your eyes open as God calls you to bless someone. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen.